We're going to study in the book of Philippians today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. So you can open your Bible or slide there on your phone, whatever. Um, or if you don't have either of those, you can uh, follow along the bulletin you got. The passage we're studying is right there. So as you're turning there, um, a few people said to me this morning, it's cold, and I appreciate you guys for braving the cold. On a normal morning, we have about two or 300 people that follow us on live stream, and then mornings like this, that number spikes, and so I applaud you guys for fighting through, and you guys are at home, we're, we're still thinking of you, uh, but we made it here, so there we go. So, um, and some people said it was cold, and I said, well, you better hold on to that until Wednesday, because now that's when we're going to be talking cold, right? The high is 20, wait, negative something, it's huge, on Wednesday. So I thought if you're one of those people that need to have the it's so cold joke, I found a few new ones that are out there. So you could say it's so cold that that rock rattling in your shoe is actually one of your toes. You could say that. Uh, you could say it's so cold out we had to chisel our dog off the fire hydrant. You could say that. Uh, you could say it's so cold that people are actually looking forward to getting a fever. You could say that. Or you can say it's so cold I belched snowflakes. So you could say that. Or not. You could just go on, you know, and just say it's cold. So you don't have to laugh. It's just, you know, you could chuckle or some of those maybe time-release jokes, like you'll get home and die laughing. So whatever. I'm, I'm not offended so at all. So, um, so we're going to look at a great passage and... Um, I don't know if you've ever had this, but sometimes as you get to know like a famous person or somebody from history and you see like they did amazing things and then you learn their backstory. Like what was it that motivated them or catapulted them to do uh, what they did? And that's kind of what this passage is going to be like. So I was trying to think of maybe some uh, illustrations of that. So for example, like from Cartoon World, uh, here's Popeye. That guy's body is always, I think that guy needed to f spend more time doing curls and maybe chill a little bit on the ball squeezes, like massive forearms, but no biceps. Like so, but the guy would do uh, amazing feats and it was always because of his spinach, right? The spinach was the secret to Popeye's strength. Let's get a little more serious, maybe on the historical side of things. Um, this is William Wilberforce. And he was an amazing politician uh, in England and very young age was elected into office and was very popular and could kind of mingle with anybody, uh, in, was very popular and hitting the party scenes and all that. But then he met Jesus, and the issue that he's famous for was the abolition of slavery uh, in England. And so he devoted like 40 years of his life. He would not stop until uh, slavery was ended in, in England. And you look under the hood, well, what, what drove such a change? And it was his relationship with Jesus that just drove that tenacity. So that's a beautiful story. Uh, this one's a little annoying to me. So Tom Brady is going to be playing in another Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, so it seems like there's a couple things going for him. He's got his TB12, like all these health products that he's kind of pushing because he's over 40 and he's still doing great. Like that game he had last week was, was absolutely amazing. And so what's driving him, it also seems like maybe it's this, you can't say I'm too old or it's us patriots against the world because everybody hates patriots because they cheat and they do. Like they cheat all the time. And so <laughs> there's kind of like this mentality, it's us against the world that he's still achieving and doing great things even though he's aging, you know, for a quarterback. So that's good. Here's one more. Um, this is Desmond Doss, and he's the guy that was like the movie Hacksaw Ridge was made 
about him. And he was the first conscientious objector to win a Medal of Honor. It was in World War II where he saved over 70 of his own platoon and he even carried a gun. And he used to get razzed, if you saw the movie, it's a powerful movie, get razzed for, you know, why aren't you, you know, carrying a gun and all that. But if you trace it back, it was kind of a dual thing of, of his faith and God, but also kind of an incident he saw as a child of domestic violence where a gun was kind of, you know, threatened and involved that just drove that stake into his heart about, I'm not going to, you know, me and guns are going to go different ways and still had a desire to serve his country and uh, represent his country. And so, again, a good backstory you see in him. But so what I love about today's passage is I think uh, short of Jesus Christ, let's give Jesus number one on who lived the greatest life on this planet you got to talk about number two being possibly the Apostle Paul, like a guy that just totally laid down his life for the gospel and was a man, humanly speaking, that opened the doors for the gospel to reach so many parts of our world. And so what we see in today's passage is a chance to look inside of Paul's heart. What was it that drove Paul to do what he did? And if you were with us last week, we're studying this book called Philippians, and it's a letter that Paul wrote uh, to some Christians, to a church, in a city called Philippi. And as we read the opening uh, verses of this, you can tell Paul just loves these people. He considers them to be his teammates. Like they are totally participating in the gospel with him. So you sense gratitude and love and affection for them. And then last week he was telling the stories, like updating them as a friend would a friend about his situation. And he's in prison. And so your first response would be, oh no, poor Paul, he's in prison but it doesn't phase him. He talks about all the opportunities he's had to share Jesus with all these soldiers that are chained to him, how the gospel's going forward, how he's so excited, he's joyful. And so what I so love about today is like there would be a part of us that could just look and go, wow, well, that's just Paul, I guess. I guess he was just a joyful guy, even in hard circumstances. And what Paul's gonna do today is kind of open up his life to us so we can examine what is it that just motivated Paul to live in, in that kind of way, to have such joy, even in the midst of hard circumstances, and not to miss opportunities, but to take advantage of opportunities when things get hard. And so, and so um, let's just read along with me. I'm going to read us through the whole passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll talk about it together. So, so it's Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start at the end of verse 18, and he says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers— and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, I'm sorry, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let me pray for us. So Jesus, thank you for these words uh, from Paul. They are words inspired by your Holy Spirit. They're in the Bible to teach us about what drove Paul. Like what can cause a person to truly live by the motto to live as Christ, to die as gain? What can truly empower us 
to be people that are a people of joy come what may in our lives, that we can be a people who, who leave a lasting influence from our lives uh, because of the truth that Paul had. So thank you for showing us this and help us listen, help us see what Paul saw so that we can live like Paul lived and bring more and more glory to you, Jesus. So talk to us today. In your great name we pray, amen. So um, let me update you on the situation now that Paul's letting us into. So, so he's told us that he's in jail. He did that last, in last week's passage. But now he's opening up kind of a new, the next step in Paul's journey is going to be apparently some kind of trial. And in this trial, he's either going to be set free from prison and get to go do ministry again, or he's going to be executed. Like literally, that's the next step in Paul's journey. And he's writing his friends and he's letting them know. But I love that he's not just telling us that fact. He's telling us his perspective. Okay, I could live or I could die. You know, so I would imagine that maybe most of us, like our, our letter here would be, I don't want to die. Like, tell them, you know, just pray or do, you know, whatever so I don't get executed and all that. He's just kind of matter of fact. And he's actually very excited about both options, live or die. He saw really cool things in this. And so he saw amazing opportunities in that. And so for us to go much further in this, I think I want to hit a pause button and just back up and make sure that we, I think, ultimately can see what was driving Paul in this. What was driving Paul in all this is that he saw Jesus uh, for who Jesus is. Like, Jesus is the key to all of this. And so um, what I'd like to do for the next couple minutes is uh, maybe just fill you in on Paul's journey with Jesus. And then I just want to read you a selection of thoughts and words that Paul said about Jesus. So, so if you know about the life of Paul, he was uh, a very smart guy. He was scholarly. He was trending upward big time in, in the world of religion. And in that day, that would have meant positions of prominence and power. Like he was trending totally up towards that. By all worldly standards, Paul was just on the fast track up until you're going to see in Philippians 3, 8, uh, he says this, that I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Because what happened to Paul was like in his zeal for his religion, he was attacking Christians. And so that's how zealous he was. He'll even kind of brag on that. Like that was part of his worldly credentials was that he was a scholar, he was trending as a leader, and he was persecuting Christians. And so at that time, those would all propel him to positions of prominence. But then one day on the road to Damascus, where he was going to persecute Christians, Jesus stopped Paul in his tracks. Like Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And so Paul's life was completely flipped. And he learned so much about Jesus. Paul went from being an enemy of Jesus to now being on team Jesus, like being the one who was sent out to tell the world about Jesus. So let me just, again, just maybe share here. If you want to even close your eyes for a little bit and just hear thoughts that Paul shares with us about what he knew about Jesus. Like just, and may this stir in our hearts a new and a, a, a renewed passion for who Jesus really is. So listen to some things Paul knew about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created 
through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things. In Jesus, all things hold together. And in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, all people, all things are reconciled to God, whether on earth or in heaven, because Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus died the death that you and I should have died. Jesus gives us a life that we don't deserve. Jesus is the one who loves us the most. Nothing can separate us from Jesus' love. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us, and Jesus prays for us constantly. He never leaves us. He always provides for us. We are more than conquerors through Jesus. He controls all things. We have nothing to fear. Guys, you can look up now if you've been, like, just, may we just get a glimpse, maybe even a fraction of what Paul saw about Jesus and how that would change how we live our lives. Like, I think our biggest need as people and as a church is that we really need to see Jesus. Like, we, and some of us have all the right doctrine and the right beliefs about Jesus, but are we really living like those things are true? What Paul is opening up for us is the heart of a person who sees Jesus and who lives in light of who Jesus is. That's, what, that's what's on display for us today. I don't know if you remember, but the first verse in this letter to the Philippians, Paul said, he mentioned two identities. He identified himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Like, so his life was not for him, it was all for Jesus. We, we call that Team Jesus on that Sunday, that, that as Paul's living his life, it's not for himself, but he's living for Jesus. And what a privilege that is when you just look at all that Paul believed about Jesus. He's the creator of all, sustainer of all. The fullness of God dwells in him. He died to reconcile sinners to God. To be on Team Jesus means you're part of the, the most essential movement that's ever been a part of this planet. So that's our identity. We get to serve Jesus. But then do you remember what he called the Philippians? He called them saints. And so we said that that meant of forgiven ones, holy ones, set-apart ones, God's people. Um, so if you mash up those two concepts, that when your identity is in Jesus, when you take the truths about Jesus and embrace them uh, as, as his people, like that gives you, I call it a godly swagger. There's a confidence because uh, he loves you. He's always with you. You're his people. He uses you. He empowers you. He has forgiven you. He sees you as righteous because he sees you through what Jesus has done for you on the cross. So you're a saint, but that doesn't mean you just go strolling around Iowa City like you're better than everybody else. You're also a servant. You're there to do the things that Jesus came to do. And so you serve others. You forgive others. You point others to Christ. And so Paul uh, was able to live the life he lived because he saw Jesus so clearly, and then he saw himself in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him. So um, that's just a quick pause, and so now we're going to jump back into the passage. But before we do, I, I want to just pause for a second. I may have just presumed a whole bunch of stuff in what I just said, and I know this is Iowa City. I know we live in a city where a lot of people maybe don't believe what Paul just kind of laid out there for us about Jesus. And if that's you this morning, uh, you are so welcome here. Like, I, I love it when people just honestly pursue Jesus. And so an invitation to you would be that if you're trying to figure out Christianity in general, like, what, what is Christianity all about? Or should I become a Christian or not? 
the place to start is to look at Jesus, okay? And I, I would, if I could put some bait on the hook, like, uh, I would definitely read through a gospel. I would maybe talk to a friend that follows Jesus. Um, but just for your own awareness, too, like all this stuff about Jesus isn't just from the Bible, and it's not just things that Christians talk about. Sometimes it's help, this helps people that are maybe on the outside looking in to know that so many of the things we believe about Jesus have been affirmed by uh, extra-biblical historians. So like if you didn't read the Bible about Jesus but just read historians, listen to some things that, that you, could, you could cling to about who Jesus is. That there was, a biblical, there was a Jesus who lived in the first century, that he was crucified under a man named Pontius Pilate, that this Jesus had a big following of people, that it, that it was reported that he did miracles, uh, that this Jesus, again, was crucified, and that there was a story out that this Jesus rose again from the dead. And then not just a story about that, but that there was a story that his tomb was empty and no one ever found his body. You could also just see from extra-biblical history that this movement of people exploded, led by a bunch of uneducated, ordinary people, and their main message was that Jesus is alive. He rose again from the dead. And the, Christ the movement of Christianity exploded immediately after the reported time of his resurrection in the same area where he was resurrected. And so um, you put those things together and you just see an alignment to the gospel message. And a good question to ask is, how could all of that have happened? You know, how could this whole, how could you explain this without then looking at the biblical explanation of, well, Jesus rose again from the dead. That's, that's the essence of our faith. In fact, the Bible says if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, then really this whole thing is a joke. Like we're to be pitied more than all people. And so, and so my encouragement to you is, is to check it out, to investigate who Jesus is. And if Jesus were to appear to us today even, that's kind of his posture too. He'd be, check it out, explore the evidence. But there's one more piece Jesus would throw in there. He would say, uh, the best way for us to get to know Jesus is not to just know facts about him, but to begin to pursue him personally. Like he loves it when we don't just see him as a historical figure who can be defended by facts, but when we see him as, as a God, a savior who came to this planet uh, closer than a friend, to, to hear your prayers, to hear your concerns, to be there to comfort you, to forgive you, to give you a purpose in your life. Like that's the way to truly find out who Jesus is. So I love that about him. He doesn't just want to fill your head with facts about him. He wants to just light up your heart with his love for you and his desire to be a part of your life, to be the leader of your life. And so, and so those are all things that Paul tapped into. That's why Paul responds like he does in hard times. That's why Paul talks like he does. So, so let's now jump back into our passage. And I just love how Paul, again, he could be killed in the, in the next time period coming up. But here was his concern. He said, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. When you see that word honor, think of the word magnify. That might be even like a, a nicer way to look at that word. That your, It's like your life has the opportunity to be a magnifying glass for Jesus. That when people look at you, they see a bigger picture of who Jesus is. Like that was Paul's desire in life. It wasn't like, okay, that I won't get executed. He's like, you know what? If I get executed, I want to die in a way that would make people think huge thoughts of Jesus. I want to die with courage. 
But if I get to live, man, I just want to magnify Jesus with my life. Like how I live and my words, I want people to see me and just see a bigger picture of Jesus. And so what, what a great calling that's there for all of us right now to put Jesus on display. And so as we break uh, huddle today as a church, as we go like to our neighborhoods, we go, maybe you'll go to school this week, <laughs> kids, maybe you won't, but, but wherever you're going, go to work tomorrow. Like, are we putting Jesus' life on display? Like, do we, are we living like Jesus? So as Jesus has forgiven us, are we known as a forgiving people? Or as Jesus has served us, like, are we known as, like, the people at the office that are willing to uh, do extra things to help other people? As, as Jesus has loved us, are we known for our love in our neighborhood? Like, when the snow falls, are we out there busting out not just our driveway, but a couple other driveways around? Like, what are we known for? Are we putting his life on display? And it really is. I like how simple Paul put it. Like, whether by life or death, like, he wanted his words, his very life, to put Jesus on display. And so what a great, great drive and a great goal for us. But I really think what Paul's putting on display this week, and we'll see it again next week, is that I think the trait that especially grabs people's attention is when we live with courage. When we live with courage. When you hear Paul talking so fearlessly about death, like what I'm talking about is here, are there things in your life and my life that, that demand an explanation? Are the people around you going like, why, why do you do that? Like, if there's nothing in our lives, if we just look like everybody else, then I wonder if we're really living out who Jesus really is. But, but particularly courage. When, when you hear Paul talk so confidently about facing death, that turns people's heads. And as you look through the book of Acts, like when the church was spreading and facing such opposition, that was the quality that just kept turning people's heads too. I don't know if you remember the story when uh, Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, were on trial in front of the same people who sent Jesus to die by crucifixion. It's like 50 days later, and they're in front of the same group of people, and to their face, Peter says, you know what, there's salvation in no other name under heaven given among men than Jesus. You know, the Jesus you crucified? Like, yeah, that's the one who died, you know, for the sins of the world. Like, just boldly putting the gospel out there. And do you remember the reaction? Like, the people around who watched the disciples were amazed because they were average, ordinary men but then they realized that they'd been with Jesus. It was their courage that drew attention to them. And so um, I, I don't want to step on toes this morning, but I'm going to, and I'm going to step on mine as well. Uh, a scared Christian should really be an oxymoron. Like if, again, if Jesus is the one who is sustaining all things, in control of all things, committed to us in love, that his drive in us is to make us more and more like himself, that he never leaves us, he provides everything we need, like why, anytime we're living in fear, we're just completely opposing everything we say is true about Jesus. So a scared Christian really is an oxymoron. What, what Paul's opening up his life and showing us is that we can have amazing courage even in the face of death. And I, and I love the phrase there he used, unashamed, too. I don't know what you think of when you see unashamed uh, maybe we think more of like embarrassment, like if we were all tell our favorite like um, embarrassing moment stories from our, from our lives. Like mine, one of the top of my list, and some of you heard it, is like when I was a freshman in a small high school, sitting on the end of a bench of a close basketball game, first game of the year. I figured I wasn't playing. I'm a freshman. And the coach in the third quarter goes, Schillinger, get in! It's like, what? You know, so I was scared. And so when as a freshman, at that time, you got the 
last pick of uniforms, so my sweatpants were maybe a little smaller than they should have been, and my shorts a little more baggy than they should have been. So I just yank, just in a hurry to get into the game, I just yank my sweatpants down. And it's a small school gym. That means like people are sitting like in those pull-out bleachers. Like there was, it was a packed gym, a rival. So there was people sitting right behind our bench. And I knew something had happened when I pulled them down and the lady behind me said, oh my God. It's like, <laughs> I, I had no idea, you know. And then I looked and like, oh, stink, you know. So I go in the game. It was actually a good thing because I wasn't nervous about getting in the game. I was scared to death about coming back to the bench and just having to see that lady again. But, but so when he says, I'm not ashamed, he's not talking about like your, your worst embarrassing moment. He's talking about something much much deeper there. When you think about shame, think about disappointment or an unmet hope. Like something like, what he's saying is like, and you're seeing this about Paul, like I'm throwing everything in on Jesus. Like I'm, all my chips are on Jesus. Like I'm just putting everything down on Jesus. And I know that at the end of the day, I will not be disappointed. Like I am not going to get to the end of the day and go, why did I trust Jesus so much? He's saying, no, I will not be ashamed because I know who I am trusting in. He is the one who is fully God, fully man. He lived on this earth. He loved me. Uh, even though I was a sinner, he died. He rose again from the dead. He's in heaven now, sustaining all things. So I have no doubt that when I live for him, I will be unashamed. Like there's nothing to be afraid of, ashamed of, when I am living for Christ. And so then, like just, just one more layer here. He invites us, even deeper into his thought process, almost like the internal dilemma that he has. I love this, where I'll just read it again, verses 21 to 24. And I just like how he invites us into his thought process. When he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. So, um, man, he just, I don't, we don't understand exactly what's going on here. It almost sounds like Paul has a choice in the matter, where if you look at the other scenario, it looks like he's just, he's going to be put on trial, and he's kind of at the, at the whim of whoever the king is that he's going to go before, if he's going to live or die. But I think there's a nuance here where Paul is saying, you know what, I could go to that trial and just completely wimp out. Like I could deny Jesus and maybe they'd be lenient and let me go. But he's saying, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Like I want to exalt Jesus with my body. Like I don't want to go in wimpy. Like I'm just going to go in bold and just see what happens. And so, but, but he, he's saying, you know what though? The reason I'm not afraid is like either alternative is awesome. Like so to live is Christ. That means even you caught a glimpse of it when Mike and Emma were talking about like how sweet it is to devote their lives so that other people will cross the line, other people will meet Jesus, other people will find joy in Jesus. Like that's, that's what Paul's saying. And any of you have had that opportunity to team up with people and share Jesus with people and see them respond, like that's an amazing thing to live for. Like that's, now you're talking about living for something that lasts for eternity that you are investing your life in some. So Paul says, if I get to keep living, it's going to be awesome. Not just with you Philippians and to see you keep growing, but like all these ministries he's got going, it's going to be so cool to live for Christ. But if I die, if I die, man, that's even, that's, that's in some ways even better. It's gain. It's not a loss. And so maybe just to refresh you that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, the moment you die, you go to be with him. You are in his presence. 
Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? And I call this the last second full court desperation heave that went in at the buzzer. When the thief on the cross, right before he died, you know, you know, just put his faith, just verbally assented to who Jesus is. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Like, and that's what Paul was just banking on, that if he were to die, he gets to go be with Jesus. And that was amazing to him, to be in Jesus' presence, no more sin, no more suffering, in the glorious presence of the greatest one that ever lived, like in his presence, experiencing his love, seeing his glory. Like Paul said, that, that is amazing. That's a gain. Like if I get to die, I get to go be with Jesus. And so I, he had a no-lose life, live or die. It was going to be awesome. And so I just want us to pause for a second and do, maybe we can just call this a cost-value analysis of your own life. Like maybe sometime today you do a chart for yourself just to make sure you understand like either way, if you're in Christ, either way is a win for you too. Like what does dying mean for you? Like just to jot that down and remind yourself of the hope of eternity, the hope of heaven, the hope of being the presence of God. And so, and on the other side though, but if God decides to allow you to live another 10, 20, 40, 60 years, like to live as Christ, what would that mean? And why is that awesome and amazing? And so another thing I would ask you to do is this. Like that statement Paul said, to live is Christ. What if you took Christ out and just made a blank there and say to live is, and uh, what word would go in there for you today? Like this, and maybe in this season of your life. To live is and you don't want to give the, you know, if you're just giving a church answer, maybe you'll just so Jesus. Like, it's just, and so sometimes you may in, intend that Jesus would be to live as Jesus, but like, let's get real. Like, what are you really living for? And that might take somebody around you who's not afraid to be honest with you to say, well, you know, yeah, I kind of see Jesus here and there in you, but it seems like more right now to live as your degree, to live as your job, uh, to live as your kids. Uh, to live is your health. And guys, there is nothing wrong with any of those health, kids, job, like degree. Like those, are, those are good things, but those are not ultimate things. Those are not something that you really stand strong on. So, you know, this time of year especially, and I've had my share of wipeouts on icy sidewalks, but like when it's like this, don't you find yourself just a little more careful? Like, is there going to be some black ice or is that really a sidewalk there? And so you're walking really cautiously and, and that kind of thing. Or um, it's happened a few times, but Lori's in this service, so she's right here. I'm not gossiping. But I tell her, like, if there's any, ever anything too high for you to reach, let me do it. But I'll still inevitably come home sometimes, and she's got, like, a piano bench, and then maybe a stool like this on top of that, and she's trying to, like, reach something. It's like, don't do that. I said I would do that, you know. So it might even be that the people around you are seeing you, like, kind of trusting in things, and to live is, and putting things in that blank that aren't, like, secure for you. And so maybe the people around you are like, are you sure? Like, you should be spending so much time doing that. And, and so what is actually in your blank? And Maybe the way to, to help uh, diagnose that yourself. Um, Tim Keller has a great list of questions about how can you tell if something is an idol in your life? How can you tell if you are putting too much trust in something to satisfy you? And he asked some of the, some of the questions from that are like, what, do you, what are you afraid of? Like what, what, trace, what do your fears trace to that would expose what you're really 
putting your trust in, your confidence in? Like, what do you fear that if you lost that, you would lose everything? You know, or you would, you would really struggle. You would just, you couldn't even pull forward. And that's one way to find out. Or what, what do you find yourself thinking about all the time? Like when you have free moments to just think or, or where are you spending your time? Where does your money go? Like there's just this uh, list of questions to really help us because I think we can live in the realm of intentions. Like say, oh no, for me to live is Christ. It's like, okay, that, that's great, but is that really true? And uh, look at, at, at those things because if it truly is Christ in there, then I think what we'd see in our lives you know, there's a lot of things we're seeing in Paul that there, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be living in fear. There'd be worry. wouldn't be worried. We'd be living joyful lives. Like we'd see ourselves like just um, living for others, serving, uh, and those kind of things. In fact, um, I, I think anytime we put anything but Christ in that blank to live as Christ, then our lives are going to be, I think what's going to be more common in our lives will be things like fear and worry and anxiousness and uh, a lot of uncertainty. And so, and so if we're seeing a lot of that in our life. I think that's a time to get back on our knees and square up again with who Jesus is. Wait, let's just go back to square one. Who is Jesus? What has he done for me? Like, what has he promised me? And then just to kind of reset our lives and, and so that we can do like Paul did and say to live is Christ. Because when, when that blank is filled with Christ, like, like it was for Paul, uh, you just live a whole different life. Like, so just imagine if you were one of the Romans trying to get Paul to buckle, like try to make Paul afraid. Like, you're, and that was your job as a soldier. It's like, okay, Paul, we're going to kill you. He'd go, sweet, I get to go be with Jesus. Yeah, here you go, cut me right here. You know, it's just like, okay, well, we won't kill you. We'll let you live. Oh, great, I get to serve people. I get to write letters from prison. I get to share Christ with prisoners. And if you let me go, I get to go plant more churches. And it's like, Ugh! you know, so they go, well, how about if we'll just beat you? We'll make you suffer. And you'll see in chapter 3, he goes, man, when I suffer, that is so cool because it helps me understand Jesus more because he suffered for me. And I get so much closer to Jesus when I suffer. Ah! You know, like you just can't get this guy. He's unshakable. And every angle and attack you could get at him, you just couldn't make him buckle because to live is Christ. And so um, just, like, let's just do an honest look in our lives and like, so what, what is characterizing our lives these days? Is there joy? Is there many evidences of us serving and giving our lives for others? Is there generosity? Is there sacrifice? Like those are all signs that you are so content because you know, live as Christ, die as gain, he's got your back, and it just frees you, frees you to live. I just, again, love this passage because Paul doesn't want us to just go, wow, Paul was an amazing guy. I wish I could live like that. He's like, well, this amazing guy you see is because of what Jesus has done for me. And all I'm doing is I'm looking at who Jesus is and I'm trying to live my life in light of that. And so uh, may we be uh, a people who just get after uh, who Jesus is. And, and that's why like, when we keep encouraging you uh, to get in groups, to be in community groups, that's where we really need the one another's going on in our lives. We need other people in our lives reminding us of who Jesus is, praying for us. And so don't go try to do this alone, you know, and just crank this out on your own. You see Paul relying on the people in Philippi. He's asking them to pray for him. Pray that I will exalt Christ in my body. And they were his teammates. And so you don't get there alone. But I would say you do get there when you see who Jesus is, you pursue Jesus, you prioritize Jesus, and then you get people in your life, in your life who are going to help you follow uh, Jesus as well. So, so let's do this. I just want to give you a moment to just pray. And so if you want to um, just look back at the passage 
or if you want to look at your notes. And maybe there's a couple places your prayers might go today. I mean, first, maybe it's just a time to just square up with Jesus again and just praise him for who he is, what he's done for you. Praise him that to live as Christ, die as gain. You know, maybe that's your direction. Maybe another thought would be, uh, maybe there's some conviction today. Like, wow, I am not living like I know Jesus. You know, I'm not living uh, like Paul. And so the goal this morning is not to feel guilty and, and ashamed, but the goal would be to feel called up. That Jesus' tone this morning would be to lift your head up to see him. And he's a forgiving and compassionate savior. And he would say, he wouldn't rub your face in how you have been living. I think he would say, let's go. Like there's a whole different way you can, you can live. And let me go with you. Let me do this with you. So whichever, whichever place you need to go in your prayer time, could you just do that right now? Just, just respond to what you've heard, what we've seen about Jesus. So Jesus, again, thank you for this passage and thank you that you are such an amazing Savior and I pray that uh, we would just learn uh, from your word today and from Paul's witness, testimony, his life, that truly to live is Christ and to die is gain. May that make us a people who are uh, even more confident, more joyful, uh, more sacrificial. God, may we be a church that's, that's known for its courage, for its compassion, for its generosity. And God, just unleash your people this week uh, to live for you, to live with you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for these great words and these great truths about you. In your name we pray, amen.